So today we're going to continue in the Love of One Another series, and, and this one's kind of a tough topic maybe. We're going to love one another by forgiving one another. See, forgiving is the most God-like act a Christian can do. Never are we more like God than when we forgive. Forgiving is very essential and vital to the life of the church. You know, the church at its best is nothing but a collision of sinners. Like in Matthew 7, when it talks about the speck in someone else's eye, when you have a log in your eye, we all have caused someone to stumble. We're all guilty of saying something we shouldn't, and all have offended somebody at some time. And what destroys any relationship is the inability to forgive. It's not the offense the offense that destroys the relationship, but it's the inability to forgive the offender. So how do we forgive one another? Part of loving one another is to forgive one another. In Ephesians, it's a letter from Paul that's an encouragement to challenge believers to function as one body of Christ. It was written to strengthen and encourage the church, not to discourage. To function as a body of Christ, we have to be forgiven Christians. Tina and I, unfortunately, pretty much, I would say five days a week, it's generally seven days a week, we have to usually administer some type of discipline to all the ball players that we have. Right now it's around 70, and then somebody's always late for school or doing this or doing that, and it's generally... Her and I, who administer some type of discipline. And I think a lot of times the players think if they get disciplined more than once that we hold a grudge, that we, um, you know, they're on our target, their radar. And one thing that she's really good at and a lot better than I am is that the discipline's over and we move past it. And the slate's wiped clean with these boys. And I think after a month, they really realize that we mean that. Um, I can discipline now and put them on the echo bike, which they have to ride. Um, five miles in 15 minutes and you can't cheat it because it's this big fan and it's, it's a struggle to get it done. And while they're pedaling and, and, and whining and complaining, I'm over there just laughing and cutting jokes with them. <laughs> At the time, they don't really think that's that funny. But I will say this, and I think that was one thing the owner of the baseball academy was a little nervous about hiring me full time as he knows I'm pretty structured and, and I want it done the right way. And it's really taught me a bunch of patience. And it's taught me that these boys, a lot of them, didn't grow up like I grew up. And it's taught me how to forgive and move on and wipe it clean. So we often treat forgiving someone like an old sore or scab. You know, just recently I was at a baseball retreat. We were cooking, and uh, Corey took the big pot off the stove, and he turned around, and I didn't know he did it, and I backed into him, and it burnt the back of my arm pretty, pretty good. And, of course, I put some stuff on, and, you know, after a day or two, it was starting to heal. And, of course, when you get in the shower, it gets all gooey again, and then you get out, and it starts to heal. And then I wake up the next morning, it's all over Tina's bed sheets because I won't leave it alone because I continue to pick at it instead of just letting it heal. And a lot of times, I think we treat forgiving somebody like that. You know, we, we say we've moved past it, and then we reach up, and we scratch it again, and it starts bleeding, and then we let it heal, and then we go back to the hurt that they caused us and then we go back and scratch it a little bit more and then 
the hurt comes back up, and then we realize we probably truly hadn't forgiven that person. And then eventually we keep messing with it till it gets infected, which happened this week with one of the baseball players. Got infected, he ended up going to the hospital. Six days later, he's still in the hospital from something that was minor. But that's how we treat forgiveness a lot of times. We just keep going back to it instead of just forgiving it and wiping the slate clean. The Bible uses 75 or more word pictures or analogies to describe forgiveness. A few of them are to forgive is to turn the key and open the cell door and let the prisoner free. To forgive is to write in large letters to forgive a debt, nothing owed. To forgive is to pound the gavel in the courtroom and to find the person not guilty. To forgive is to grant a full pardon to a condemned criminal, setting them free. See, when you forgive, forgiveness is liberating, it's marvelous, it's virtuous, it's a loving attitude and an act. It's healthy and wholesome, sensible and freeing, and brings peace and love. Forgiveness should be rare, shouldn't be rare among believers. It is the most godlike act a Christian can do. Never are we more like God than when we forgive. So how we deal with those offenses is what determines the nature of our relationship. Inability to forgive destroys everyone. Scripture is clear where there is a lack of forgiveness, there will be bitterness, which then turns to hatred, which then turns to anger, then vengeance, and eventually retaliation. Then comes much trouble. It will imprison people to their past, but forgiveness frees you to enjoy all relationships. No offense, Brian, but three out of four attorneys are here in America. It's because all the litigation that they have to handle in our country. And in our country, the best way to get resolution is to be vindictive. There are time and places for attorneys. I called Brian yesterday for some legal advice. Um, As you all know, I've been dealing this with my father's estate. And it's a situation where I've tried for three years to make something right with someone that didn't want it to be right, that wanted to be vindictive. And it has taken a toll. I promise you that's something you don't want to go through. There's a a saying by C.S. Lewis that says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. It's funny how we see someone who hangs on to hatred or hurt and we don't understand it until it happens to us. In John 13, 34 through 35, says that, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. I think Wade actually used this slide. I stole it from Wade this week. It fit right in. I think Wade spoke about this. I think it was several weeks ago. So how do we love another believer if we can't forgive them? How do we live in harmony with one another if we can't forgive? Ephesians 4.2, we're going to go into these verses a little deeper in a minute, but Ephesians 4.2 says, be patient and kind, or be patient with one another. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another. 
Colossians 3.13 says, bear with one another. James 5.16 says, confess to one another. And Romans 12.16 says, live in harmony with one another. See, when you're patient and you're kind and you can bear and confess, there's harmony. Harmony doesn't mean you always agree. It just means you can agree to disagree. When I was preparing for this, I don't know why the first thing that came to my mind was, I remember 35 or 40 years ago, it's probably been more like 40 years ago, when there was a presidential election, we could agree to disagree and we could just move on. Matter of fact, the candidates could come off stage and shake hands and maybe go to a dinner party afterwards and, and move on. I remember when I was in middle school, me and, I don't know why, I went back to this, a friend of mine in high, uh, middle school was named Vassar Green. Ambassador was about six foot tall in middle school, and we'd always go out on break and play football. And it was during the presidential election of Ronald Reagan and I think Walter Mondale um, presidential election. And I, of course, wanted Ronald Reagan to win. He wanted Walter Mondale to win, and we're in middle school. We have no clue who these guys are. We have no clue what their values are, what they're preaching, other than that's what my parents thought, and that's what I thought. But I remember after we disagreed on who we thought should be president, we were right back on the football field. Matter of fact, Vassar was an awesome receiver because he was six foot and the rest of us were like four or five. But I could throw the ball fairly decent to be small, and I always looked for Vassar when he went out for a pass. He was my guy. Even though we totally disagreed on how we were raised or politics and everything else, but we can't do that today. See, friends could talk politics and still be friends. Ephesians 2 says, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Another story when I was preparing was, when you talk about forgiveness, I don't know, this is a tough one. Um, Y'all remember, I think it was 2015 in the Charleston shootings, the Charleston Nine, when uh, these church members were having prayer in the church and this kid walks in that doesn't look like none of them and sits down with them for a few minutes before he pulls out a gun and shoots nine, shoots ten, nine of which passed away. And I would assume by the actions of the shooter that he probably was not a believer, However, one of the first things one of the family members said within the day or two, couple days afterwards when they interviewed this person was that they forgave him. I'm talking about within just a couple of days that they had forgave him. Could you do that? See, most of the time we have a hard time forgiving fellow believers, much less a cold-blooded killer. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. When I read these first two verses, now I know where Tim McGraw got his song from, Be Humble and Kind. See, in Ephesians 4.2, it says, Always be humble. And in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind. Hence the song, Be Humble and Kind. Many of you have heard my story. I think I've even told it two or three times up here about carrying hatred for a guy that I had tussled with when I was a trooper, broke my leg, and how I carried that hatred for quite some time, but after a while, 
I felt convicted to forgive him. I'm not sure if he's a believer today or not. I was fairly certain he wasn't back then. The way things went down and some of the names he was calling me. But I've had so much peace through forgiving that man that the weight of the world and the burning off your shoulders is amazing. See, not forgiving, we become stuck in a time unable to move forward, which generally causes anxiety and potentially depression, which can lead to the loss of friendships and relationships. So what does it look like to forgive and stop avoiding these difficult things or situations? See, with freedom, people can change. They can be restored and they can be redeemed by God. See, God is not asking us to do something that he hasn't already done. In Colossians 3.13, it says, You must make allowances for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The key to forgiveness is remembering how much God forgave us. Remembering his love and forgiveness can help us grow and forgive others. If you're a Christian, you are called to live in peace. This doesn't mean all of a sudden our differences and opinions are gone. However, it does require us to work together despite those differences. Tina and I sometimes teach, I shouldn't say teach, we facilitate a marriage group or class. We hadn't done it in quite some time and kind of excited about a couple that had reached out to us recently to do it. But in forgiveness, forgiving, this, this is not a feeling, it's, it's a decision. It's just like being married. It's a decision you make every day. To live in love leads to peace. And in Colossians 3.13, I was kind of reading the footnotes here, and I thought, you know, instead of trying to spell it out myself, I'll just read it directly to you. It says, Christians should live in peace. To live in peace does not mean that suddenly all differences of opinions are eliminated, but it does require that loving Christians work together despite their differences. Such love is not a feeling, but a decision to meet others' needs. To live in love leads to peace between individuals and among the members of the body of believers. Do problems in your relationship with Christians cause open conflicts or mutual silence? Consider what you can do to heal those relationships with love. The word rule comes from the language of athletics. Paul tells us to let Christ's peace be the umpire or referee in our heart. Our heart is the center of conflict because there are feelings and desires clash. Our fears and hopes, distrust and trust, jealousy and love... How can we deal with these constant conflicts and live as God wants? Paul explains that we must decide between conflicting elements by using the rule of peace. Which choice will promote peace in our souls and in our churches? I think it's been a year or so ago when I spoke about Joseph. I thought about him as well and and the forgiveness that it must have took somebody in his circumstances and shoes to be able to forgive. And some of the people that hurt him most was his own family, his own brothers. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he was falsely accused of seduction by Potiphar's wife. 
And through those circumstances and through the forgiveness of everybody that had wronged him, millions of people's lives were changed by his forgiveness. Oftentimes, forgiveness seems to be about the person, and at times it is. But it's about freeing you. God puts a lot of emphasis on forgiveness, and in fact, our salvation is tied to it. In Matthew six fourteen, Jesus says, If you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. By forgiving, we are restoring our earthly relationship with others. Remember, when someone is saved by God, they are a child of God. They are a creation of God. We just spoke about forgiveness as a choice, not a feeling. In Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, Says then the Lord came down in a pillar of a cloud and called out his own name. The Lord, as Moses stood there in his presence, he passed in front of Moses and said, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, the merciful and gracious God. I am slow to anger and rich in unfailing love and faithfulness. I show this unfailing love to many thousands by forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Even so, I don't leave sin unpunished, but I punish the children for their sins of their parents to the third and fourth generations. She says, I show this unfailing love to many thousands by forgiving every kind of sin. It doesn't say a select few kinds of sins, certain types of sins, bigger sins or smaller sins. It says every kind of sin. In Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake. I will never think of them Again, it's God speaking to the Israelites. So by confessing our faults to one another, it seems like a weird thing to do today is confessing our faults and our sins to someone else. Don't we often say Christ came so we could go directly to him and not have to do that? Yes, he did. However, sometimes that's something you need to do something I have done in the past. There may be a time when you need to seek another believer to help us get past our hurt and pain and to walk alongside of us to find a place of forgiveness in our hearts. In James 5.16, it says, Confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great great power and wonderful results. See, Christ did come to make it where we could go directly to to God. But confessing our sins to someone still has an important place in the life of the church. For one, if we've sinned against a person, ask for forgiveness. If our sin has affected the church, we must confess it publicly. If we need love and support as we struggle with sin, we should confess to those who are able to support us. And if we doubt God's forgiveness after confessing our sin, we may wish to confess to a fellow believer for assurance of God's pardon. So moving forward on forgiving, a path moving forward, bigger the wound, the more you need the Holy Spirit. 
See, when we see a person how God sees them, it tends to convict our hearts. See the person how God sees them, not how you see them. Forgiveness is a discipline. It's a choice to forgive. And by drawing close to God, you need people in your community. There's an old saying that probably most of y'all have heard that by not forgiving, it's like you drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. That's not how it works. In Matthew 18, verse 21 and 22, it says, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, Jesus replied, 70 times seven. Of course, I did the math real quick. It's like 490 times. So at 491, it's over, okay? 491 ended like three days into school this year. (laughs) No, that's just God saying every time. There is no number. Hypocrisy. The world knows Christ calls the church to love one another. Even non-believers know that. This is not enough to make the hypocrisy label stick. Why? Because we fail miserably. Matthew 5 says, love your enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. It says, love your enemies. I think about what's going on over in the Middle East right now, and I'm thinking, how hard would that be to love your enemy? So how do we find strength to love our enemies? By loving God more. Here's a quote here by an unknown author. It says, you will never know how strong your heart is until you learn to forgive who broke it. You will never know how strong your heart is until you learn to forgive who broke it. In Luke 23, 34, it said, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And then the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. See, these soldiers were enemies of Christ, but not Christ's enemies. It's just hard to fathom being beaten the way that Jesus was beaten and then hung on a cross and immediately some of the first words out of his mouth was forgive them for they know not what they are doing. See, Jesus forgave them on the spot. See, oftentimes it takes us days, weeks, months, sometimes years, sometimes never to forgive something far less. See, there's very power in the words of I forgive you. See, often the following words when someone wants to make us feel better after we've hurt them or sinned against them, you'll go to somebody and say, I'm sorry, and they'll say, it's okay. No worries. No big deal. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And the whole time you're saying that, 
are you hearing that? You're thinking, I'm not forgiving them or they're not forgiving me, probably. Because I don't know if I've heard I forgive you in years from somebody that has been wronged when somebody used the word, it's okay. No worries, no big deal, don't worry about it, it's all good. But there's power when someone says, I forgive you. Or when you tell somebody that you need forgiveness, when they repeat that back to you, of, that you are freed of that sin. David, I'm going to ask you to come up as you, David makes his way up. We're kind of switching over to how do we live in harmony with one another? So how do we live in harmony with one another? Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all. That's how we live in harmony with one another. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think that you know it all.